Welcome back to another episode of Shred's Takes. I'm your host, Michael Shredder. I know it's been a month since I have posted on this podcast, and I'm glad to be back on sharing my thoughts with you guys once again. And I hope everyone's doing well. And we got a great show today. We're going to break down. I'm just going to talk about some key takeaways from the Bucks and Nets game six game that I think are important for people to grasp and understand as they head into a game seven tomorrow. And I'm also going to talk about other topics such as Rick Carlisle resigning from the Mavericks, Kemba Walker being traded from the Boston Celtics. And last but not least, what should we make of the Hawks? Are the Hawks going to close out the 76ers tonight? And if they were to win, could they actually challenge the Bucks or the Nets in the next round in the Eastern Conference Finals? And we're going to get it started, though, right? And pretty much what I, what I like to get, go through and explain these kind of stuff, I like to break down a little bit about what kind of happened, right? If, for people who did not watch the Bucks and the Nets game six game last night, you definitely missed out on a very – Ugly game, I'll say that, because a lot of these games haven't been very pretty and fun to watch due to the physicality of how the Bucks play defense. But at the end of the day, the Bucks came up big from after really blowing a game five game that they really should have won. They were able to close out and win that game six yesterday, 104 to 89, led by Chris Milton's 38 points. 10 rebounds and five assists and Giannis Tentacumpo having 30 points and 17 rebounds and not taking a single three the entire game. You also got 21 points from Drew Holiday from the Bucs side. And for the Nets, you got 32 from Kevin Durant. You got 12 from Blake Griffin. You got 16 from James Harden. But pretty much that's kind of what you got from the Nets, right? The, there wasn't a ton of scoring outside of that, right? Joe Harris gave you nine points. But again, there wasn't a high level of contribution made by the other supporting cast. So what do we make of this, right? Do we look at this game and say, this is the, the formula the Bucks need to do in order to win a game seven in Brooklyn? The answer is yes, right? But you need to, the, the, the problem goes to stem from, the Bucks don't have the best player in this series. Kevin Durant is the best player in this series. I would say arguably right now, he's the best player in the world. And you have that kind of dilemma if you're the Bucks, right? You have the, the thing, you have to start double teaming him right? You have to start getting the ball out of his hands more. They did a good job on him last night, but he had what we call an off night for Kevin Durant. And he was 15 to 30 from the floor and had 32 points. I mean, the guy, the guy did what he was supposed to do. And he's going to play, I think, even better in game seven. Now, I originally picked the Bucks to win in seven games in this series, right? And I'm going to stick to that pick, even though I definitely think the Bucks are one of the more stupid teams in terms of execution at end of games at times, right? They really just make a lot of dumb plays and dumb reads and take and make bad shot selections. And, and that's, that's what hinders them from being successful. But the big things I'm going to take away from the game are a few things, right? One is that Giannis not shooting jump shots and attacking the Brooklyn defense was the key. He attacked their defense and that made a major difference in this game. He attacked and attacked and attacked, and especially in transition. They outscored Brooklyn 26 to 4 in transition points, and they also beat him in the paint. And that's because Giannis was aggressive getting downhill. He wasn't settling a lot for jump shots. And that's a big key, right? He, 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 when he's settling for threes, 
that fills right into, sorry, falls right into the Brooklyn Nets' hands because Brooklyn doesn't have anyone to guard him. It'd be one thing if like Joel Embiid is guarding him, right? Which I kind of understand that he's a shot blocker, right? Or even a Clint Capella or John Collins who had the size, right? But the problem ends up that Brooklyn doesn't have a shot blocker. So Giannis has just got to attack, whether he has to catch it in the mid post or the, or the free throw line and play from 15 feet and in. But the way he was in terms of his aggressiveness last night is what we expect. And look, I, I am not going to be the guy to say that you can compare him to Kevin Durant. You can't, right? Game five, I think, proved that. Even last night, you can see Kevin Durant is the better player. But Giannis's legacy is on the line in this game seven. It's going to be another, if he loses, it's going to be another blown opportunity with a team that could have won the championship. It's going to question if he's a number one option or not on a championship team. Budenhoser would definitely be fired, and they're going to somehow change up that roster. So this is going to be an exciting game seven, but based on what I saw, the, the physicality of getting to the basket, being aggressive on the backboards, again, they won the rebounding battle 50 to 39. Right? They shot horrible from three, horrible from three. They were 7 to 33 from three. Brooklyn was 9 to 30. But you look at the free throws, right? They got there a lot more and shot a lot better, right? The free throws were a big asset, right? You look at turnovers, they had less turnovers, 13 compared to Brooklyn, 16. More blocks, a better assist to turnover ratio, right? They had 14 assists to 13 turnovers, and Brooklyn had 14 assists to 13 turnovers. So what does this all mean? It means the physicality of, of the Bucks is how they're going to win. They're not going to win by being pretty jump shooters and shooting a bunch of threes. That's not how it's going to work, and that's not how they're going to win this game. And I'm going to stick with the Bucks in seven, but Kevin Durant is capable enough where he can score 50 and they're going to win, right? Because James, the thing is, James Harden, even though he played decently well, he's not 100%, and, he, and he's not going to go to the basket. And the Bucks need to attack him on the defensive end because they're letting him off the hook way too much. And that's something I'm just going to go in the fact and just say right now, that's why they don't win. If, if, if they don't attack James Harden, they don't attack the paint, they're not going to win. Right, but they, they do it. If they attack the paint, they're aggressive and they keep their foot on the gas the entire game and get off to a good start, they're going to be in good shape, right? Because they have the more talented team at this moment in time. And that's going to make a big difference going forward. The second thing I wanted to bring up for you guys is the Kemba Walker trade. And for Boston Celtics fans, Boston obviously had a very disappointing year due to the fact of just the chemistry was not right due to COVID issues and injuries and not necessarily being all in sync with Brad Stevens' plan. And there's a lot of turmoil with Boston, right? Danny Ainge resigned from the GM spot. Brad Stevens took over the GM spot. Now they're looking for a head coach. And you got Jalen Brown, who's now coming off wrist, in, wrist surgery. And then now recently, now you have Kemba Walker being traded for, and a first-round pick traded for basically a, a draft pick, Moses Brown and Al Horford. And what this is looking at is they're trying to fix the mistakes that Danny Ainge made in their terms of having a legitimate big guy to be able to mentor Robert Williams in Boston. And Al Horford didn't play too bad when he was in OKC, but Al Horford is a little older and we don't know how much he has left in the tank, but you had Kemba Walker wasn't working. And it's nothing against Kemba Walker as a player, but he just wasn't healthy a lot of the season. And the problem is that that hindered his play. He wasn't as explosive off the dribble and especially on the pick and roll. He just didn't have the same kind of explosion that he normally did. He, usually he would be a very quick guard. I mean, if you watch him in Charlotte, that's kind of what happened, but injuries, especially around his knees have hindered him to an extent. And this trade for Boston fans, right? This is just a, a stepping stone in trying to get more bigs to be able to match up with the teams in the Eastern conference, right? 
You want bigs that are experienced. And Kemba just wasn't working. They had to change something, and they're not going to get rid of their two, two stars in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And the Kemba just wasn't quite working for that third option. And as a result of that, right, Boston's got some work to do in the free agency market to kind of get a third guy who could be consistent, right? Fournier is a good player, but he's not always consistently like that. Marcus Smart is wildly inconsistent on the offensive end. Right? He provides great effort on the defensive end, but he's wildly inconsistent on the offensive end. And then, look, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, we saw what Jason Tatum can do with that 50-point game point in the playoffs and just how great he played in that series, averaged over 30 points a game against Brooklyn. But, look, with him and Jalen Brown, they should be a team that should be a contending team in the East. But their problems lie behind a bad defense, a lack of chemistry, and a lack of big man depth in order to have consistent play from the big man position. And the reason you need consistent play from the big man position is because, in the, especially in the Eastern Conference, you got Yance Tentacumpo, Bam Adebayo, Joel Embiid, John Collins and Clint Capella, Julius Randle, and the list can go on there. But the, the, the point I'm making with this, with all this, is that you, the, the, the Boston Celtics had no shot blocking and no way to really deter anyone at the rim. Brooklyn can get away with it because Brooklyn's very good offensively. But Boston wasn't good offensively, so this can hopefully add to some, some sort of defensive depth in the big man position and hopefully can provide some experienced leadership at Al Horford because Al Horford was very good in Boston. And it's an interesting trade, right? Was that necessarily the trade that I would, I would do? Maybe not because Al Horford is old and Moses Brown is a guy who has a lot of promise but hasn't quite – had as much experience yet in the NBA. I mean, he did show some promise last year. I mean, or yeah, during the season, but it's just an interesting trade. But Kemba had to go because Kemba's production was just deteriorating because of his injuries and his size. His size that does kind of hurt him in big moments at times because you put a bigger defender on him, he just doesn't shoot a consistent percentage. And that's one way to look at it for Boston fans. My next segment, we're going to talk about something that is really interesting to me, right? And there's a lot of pressure on this guy after what happened in the first round of the playoffs and with the stars he has and stuff like that. But Rick Carlisle, the guy who's won the most amount of games in Dallas Mavericks history as a head coach, an NBA championship head coach, and a guy who's led the Dallas Mavericks to the last two playoff playoffs so far, has decided to resign from the Dallas Mavericks. And it was primarily said he said a decision, but they got rid of Donnie Nelson as their GM, and that kind of coincided with that a little bit too. And obviously for the Mavericks, right, for guys who have been around this team, that's not easy to, to, to fathom, right, because you have a coach who has built a very good offensive scheme, who's a guy that knows how to adjust really well, and he's a guy, honestly, that the Boston Celtics should look to get because he knows Boston, he can run a really good offense, he, he understands how to maximize the most out of his star, his star player. Not necessarily the role players, but the star player for sure. And, you know, for Dallas, this is going to be interesting. What is Mark Cuban going to do with the GM spot? That's a really good question. Or is he going to hire the assistant coach to be the head coach? Because a lot of guys like him and deserve and he deserves an opportunity because he's been on the head coaching block for a few years now. But – it's all going to go down to they have to take in consideration what Luca wants, who Luca wants at head coach, who Luca likes in the GM, because Luca is your franchise player. You don't want Luca disgruntled. You want Luca to stay there, which I think he will, because 
They're going to give him the super max contract, which is going to basically give him $40 million a year. But you got to listen to your stars and listen to them and, and expect that they're going to do what they think is best for them and best for this team. And ultimately, Mark Cuban's going to have to have that final decision at the end. But, but you look at this whole d- dilemma around this stuff. This is where, the, uh, especially in today's NBA, you're looking at the fact that players have more power over organizations than they used to. And they do. They have more power over the organizations than they used to. And as a result of that, right, you have a star player, Luka Doncic, a star player who just came off averaging the most amount of points in the playoffs out of anyone so far, and a guy so far that it has is in his first couple of playoffs is up in the league leaders of the best all time in terms of production. A guy that basically one man banded his Dallas Mavericks team to a seven game series and really had a chances to win that series against the Los Angeles Clippers, who may be going on to the Western Conference Finals. So taking his consideration into account is going to be key because even though I don't always like the players controlling everything about what they do in the NBA, like demanding to leave and everything like that and making a scenes about stuff, ultimately, if you want Luka to stay, he's got to have some input in what happens in terms of who they get as head coach and who they get as a GM. And the reason being is because you want a guy that Luka likes, he can connect with, that he believes is going to build a good future in Dallas because Luka got along with Rick Carlisle pretty well. I mean, they ran a good offense together. They were able to connect well, right? But you also need a coach that's going to get the, ma- the, the, the maximum potential and effort out of Porzingis. And look, yes, Dallas is going to have to make some moves to, I think, get a better players on the team because they need other guys and more consistent guys. I like Dorian Finney-Smith. I like Tim Hardaway Jr. I like Boba Marjanovic. Maxi Kluba when he, he can provide some good energy. But you need a legitimate score. You need another guy who can really get in our bucket, right? And you need Porzingis to get stronger in his in his core and his base. You need Porzingis to play with a little bit more strength and not being so much of a three-point shooter. You got, again, Porzingis is too talented to just be a role player, right? He's your third option, that's fine, right? But you got to get the most out of him. So that relies on the fact that you have to talk to Luca, And also Mark, Mark Cuban's got to work some magic here to get some guys into Dallas that are going to change the culture for the better. And that's an important point to recognize there. And that's why when you look at this, right, Rick Carlisle, I think if he's looking to get another head coaching job, would be perfect for the Boston Celtics because Rick Carlisle's experience, he played for the Boston Celtics. He understands what they're about. He would be a change of face and a change of philosophy. Their offense would definitely get better under him because he would understand how to maximize their ball-dominant guys and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And he's also a guy that really can adjust. Now, Brad Stevens is also a very good coach, and I think – Obviously, due to all the pressure, I think the fact that he re, no one was really expecting him to come back as head coach, that's why I think he got into that GM position, to be honest. But it, it would just make a lot of sense for Rick Carlisle to go to Boston. It would. It would make a lot of sense. right? You also can look at guys like Sam Cassell. Could be, well, Sam Cassell would be, I think, a really good option if Budenhoser got fired from the Milwaukee Bucks. right? But, I mean, look, the New Orleans job is open. right? Sam Cassell would be a good option for that. You can look at... Chauncey Billups, maybe, you know, having him, you know, consider it or Kenny Atkinson or Jason Kidd, right? All those things. But but Boston looks like Rick Carlisle's territory. And for Dallas, they're going to have to make the right adjustments and listen to their star player 
in order to maximize the most out of the coaches, the front office, and get a, a guy who's going to hold Luca accountable, play him less on the ball all the time, have him be a little less ball dominant, because I think that the, that does not always turn into victories, and also get more out of Porzingis than you than they're getting right now, because he's too talented, right? And also try to get another another star player in there to make Dallas a legit contender. Now, the last thing I want to break down is what should we make about the Atlanta Hawks, right? The Atlanta Hawks are a team right now heading into tonight are up three games to two on the Philadelphia 76ers. And they did this by overcoming an 18-point deficit in game four and coming back and winning and overcoming a 26-point deficit in game five and winning that game by three as well. And what I think to make of Atlanta is a few things, right? is that their youth caused a lot of issues because they play at a very fast pace. They're full of energy. They're athletic. And you look at the, the Sixers, for example, the Sixers are an athletic and big team, but you can tell that the youth, the, the pace of play is affecting MB because MB, Joel MB comes out usually in a lot of games outside of even game four to extent because he had a really good first half and then a horrible second half where he was 0 for 12. And even in the second half, he, against Atlanta game five, he only had six of his 37 in the second half. And this is what the thing with, with Joel Embiid is, right? Their youth and their athleticism and their change of defensive schemes and the way they play on offense causes a lot of issues. And for Philadelphia, right, this is a must win, obviously. They, they go home. Doc Rivers is going to be in another situation where they blew a big lead, and he's going to be questioned again, right? Doc Rivers is a good motivator, I think, right? But his X and O schemes at the end of games aren't always great. Tyron Lue for the Clippers has made proper adjustments. But going back to Atlanta, Atlanta there's three reasons why Atlanta is, is as good as is doing as well as they're doing right now. The first is, like I said, their youth and athleticism, right? Their youth and athleticism causes them to play at a really fast pace. It makes them dark, difficult to guard pick and rolls because they have athletic guys rolling to the rim and they got really quick shooters around the arc that are always willing to catch and shoot. The second reason that they're really good is Nate McMillan. Nate McMillan took over for Lloyd Pierce, and Lloyd Pierce deserves another head coaching job because I think he knows how to coach guys in the offensive end. But you see a massive turnaround what Nate McMillan has been able to do in Atlanta and adjusting on the fly defensive schemes, holding guys accountable, right? Getting Trey Young to play with a little bit more patience and play like a leader instead of having him try to come down and be, be a Steph Curry type player and let Trey Young play with a more patience type of game. You see right now that how well Trey Young is playing, but you also see the defensive schemes that they throw at the 76ers and what they did to Julius Randle in round one. And again, Nate McMillan's a guy who's a fantastic defensive coach, but Atlanta, and, and, and since he's taken over, Atlanta has been the second best defensive team in the NBA since he's taken over that job. And also offensively, they're, they're really difficult to stop because Trey Young is so good at the pick and roll, and they and they have a good offensive scheme. They get the guys in good positions where they can score. Think about it, right? Lou Williams, right, where he gets the ball in pick and rolls. Danilo Gallinari, being able to, when they have mismatches, to take guys inside and use his 6'11 frame and shoot over the top, right? And all that stuff is, is credit to coaching because he holds you accountable, right? He's outcoached Doc Rivers in the series. That's been the big reason, right? Because Philadelphia is more talented, but – Atlanta has the formula to, and I think they can totally beat the Bucs in the Mets in the next round because the, their, youth, their youth and athleticism causes a lot of problems because it, it causes you to play up and down and play at their pace. They're coaching. And then the third reason is they have a superstar that understands how to play in big moments, right? 
and that's Trey Young. Maybe he's not a superstar yet, but he's definitely a star, perennial all-star type of player. And when I watch Trey Young and when I watch what he does, he plays at his own pace. He plays fast. He, he's you know, a master of the pick and roll with his floaters, with lob passes around the rim. And also, again, he can shoot from anywhere. And having that, plus all the good players, role players they have around him, this Atlanta team's in good position to at least, you know, make some noise. Now, are they going to necessarily get to the finals? I, if, you're, if you're looking at the – who should be the favorites out of that, if you're looking at Atlanta versus Brooklyn or Milwaukee, obviously Brooklyn or Milwaukee would be the favorites in those situations. But don't count out Atlanta because of the three things they have. Youth, youth and athleticism, a really good coach, and a superstar with good role players surrounding him. And John Collins is like a budding star. So you have a good team who plays for one another. And also their home environment is very difficult to play at too. And that makes things a lot different and more difficult as a result too. And that's why Atlanta is a dangerous team. And that's why I think it's going to be tough for Philadelphia to win game six. You know, I really do. I think it's going to be very difficult. But Atlanta wins this series. They have, you know, the formula to be able to, to make things interesting in the Eastern Conference Finals. I want to thank you guys for tuning in to the Shred Takes podcast show today. I'm glad I could come back after a month off. And I will see you guys hopefully next week as I produce another episode next week. And hopefully we'll be with the guests. Have a good rest of your weekend. Enjoy your Father's Day.